Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we'll begin in just a moment. I don't know how long ago it was, but Mr. John said something in his prayer that got me to thinking along uh, these lines. And um, I don't remember exactly how he worded it and how he phrased it, but it said something about the um, allowing God's Word to pierce our hearts and make us change. Um, I don't know, just I don't know if it was the way he said that or, or, or what, but I've just been thinking a lot about it. It's probably been a month or more that he that he said that and uh, just thinking about that in my own life and um, how does God talk about uh, his word and his the ability of his word uh, to do that, um, and we'll, so we'll we'll pick up there in Hebrews four, starting verse eleven. Hebrews four and verse eleven. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of, of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you look there at the beginning of verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so that's what God's word can do. We see uh, that it, it it pierces down into the very inner being of us. It is able to uh, get down to uh, the things that are internal to us. Uh, it talks about the division of the soul and the spirit. You know, there's things that are deep in us, even in the joints and the marrow. And if you think about, uh, he's, he's talking about getting down. You know, if you think about a joint. Uh, all those little things in there, the marrow, the tendons, uh, it's able to get down in the deepest parts of us. Uh, and what's it able to do? God's Word, the Word of God, uh, there at the end, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so that's really what we'll be talking about today. If you look in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, and in verse 17 it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so here again, this idea of, of a sword uh, being talked about as God's Word. And there in verse, back in Hebrews, it talks about this sword being uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's how it gets in us. That how, that's how uh, it is able to uh, discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Isaiah 55 Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and bring and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so, if you look at verse 10, he's talking about the rain. So, we see the rain at the beginning, and then at the very end, we see the bread to the eater. So, God's saying, look, I send the rain, but the ultimate goal of that rain is to provide bread for the, for, to sustain uh, human life. And so, he's saying, you know, it, it, the rain and the snow don't just come down and return straight back. The snow and the rain come down, they water the earth. Uh, it brings forth in buds, it gives seed, so that the sower can therefore make bread and sustain life. All right? And then in the following verse, he's saying, um, so shall my word be. So he's saying, my word is the same way. The word which comes out of my mouth is the same way. It, it's, it's, it's rain in this situation. It's the rain that comes down. And he's saying, uh, so shall my word be that, that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So he's saying, my word is going to accomplish what I needed to, to, to accomplish. It's not going to return to me void. So just like the rain doesn't return back up to the heavens, the moisture doesn't go back up to the heavens before it accomplishes its purpose. So the word that goes out of his mouth is going to accomplish his purpose. It's going to accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. The question is, is does... Uh, in our lives, do we respond to His Word in the way that we should, in the way that's going to lead to life, really? Um, but He's saying, it does what I want it to do. When my Word goes forth, uh, it does what I need it to do. It, it separates uh, it separates those things it needs to separate. If you go back and think about uh, what's talked about there in, in Hebrews 4 and in verse 12. And so I, I think back, you know, we've been studying in the book of Acts uh, on Wednesday night. And I know we've talked a good bit about this, but I still think back to the to the sermon that Peter gave and the sermon that Stephen gave. All right. So we see there. Just think about Acts two and about Acts uh, seven, I believe, um, with Stephen. Those messages. If you look back at their sermon, it, it's pretty much the same. All right. Uh, Jesus came. All right. He's the Son of God. Y'all killed him. You're murderers. Repent. All right? It's the same message, essentially. All right? But you see two different responses. Uh, and that has to give us, that has to make us to some degree step back and think, what would I have done then? And what? And really, what do I do now? What do I do now when the truth is presented? Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, was, was somehow the message flawed between those two men? Same message. I don't think it's that. Or was it the heart's of those that were there, that's the reason you have these two different responses. You have them wanting to stone Stephen over here. They don't just want to, they do. They stone him. All right? And then you have the folks in saying Acts 2, they're pricked at the heart. And they say, what must I do to be saved? And so you have these two totally different responses. Um, so today, I really want to just break it down uh, real simple, real Probably, probably not anything you hadn't heard before. Uh, but what does it say about us when we respond to the truth with anger or resentment or uh, any any negative way? What does that say about us? What should what should we learn about ourselves when we respond that way? Uh, and what does it say about us in our hearts? And then what does it tell us about others when they respond to the truth? 
in a negative way. Uh, think about those people there with Stephen. What, do, what does the Bible tell us about, about that? What does he tell us about people that respond that way? And then, finally, we'll wrap up and just think about how do we prepare our hearts to receive the truth? How do, how do, we, how do we work on ourselves uh, in order to, uh, to respond in a positive way when the truth is presented? Because we all know uh, the truth is not always easy for us to hear. But how do we uh, prepare our hearts uh, to respond in the ways that God would have us to respond? So going back to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 and in verse 12, I want us to think about um, when the truth is presented to us and how do, how do we respond? Uh, how do we process through uh, those things? Hebrews 4 and in verse 12, again, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the divisions of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and the discerner of the heart of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This word discerner, you know, if we think about discerning, that's that's judging. That's a, that's this thought of judgment. And so uh, the word of God judges our thoughts and our intents, okay? And so when when someone presents the truth uh, to us, and we have a negative reaction. What should that tell us about ourselves? It, what's really happening there? What's going on? Why did I just respond that way? Well, what, what's going on is, is the Word of God has gotten down in us and it's found something deep down within us that's wrong, that we don't like, that, that upsets us, whatever it may, you know, however that emotion comes across. That's what just happened there. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, um, is, that, is that right? And I think all of us would say, well, well no, we, we shouldn't respond that way. But is it going to happen to all of us at some point? I would say yes. It's going to happen to us. Uh, has it happened to us? You know, you just think, has that ever happened to me? Uh, me, certainly, yes, it has. Uh, do I hope it happens again <laughs> sometime in the future? Yes, I hope it happens again where, where God's Word has come forth and, and it pierces down in me, and it, it you know, uh, we think about it as this idea of, uh, you know, somebody just taking a, uh, really taking a knife or a sword and just just getting us right in the heart. You know, it makes us makes us feel a certain way. Um, obviously, I hope I hope in my life I don't respond with anger, uh, but this idea of that of God's word actually getting down into something and what i think is going on there is it's truly getting down deep in us and it's it's, it's judging uh god's word is judging our heart uh, is really what's going on in our thoughts so there's things that are that are deep within us and so acts 2 and verse 37 uh, we've already alluded to this verse but we see this sermon given by by peter here uh, in acts chapter 2 and wrapping up at the end of this sermon uh, the people there say, or the, the people respond in this way. Uh, let's start in verse 36. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he's just got done uh, delivering this sermon. He's wrapping up and he's saying, Look, this, this person that I've established, uh, that God um, has made Jesus, He's made him Lord in Christ. This is the person whom you crucified. You killed him. 
And it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And so here you have this, this idea of them being cut down into the heart, cut down deep in themselves. But how do they respond? They don't respond with anger. They just respond in this way, uh, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What, what do we do now? I realize that I've done this. I realize God's word has been brought forth and it is cut to me. It is cut in my heart. And their response is, men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, Evan covered this, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday. And so we've, uh, this is in Acts chapter 10. Of course, you have the story of, of Peter and Cornelius and uh, Peter really realizing that the gospel is also for the Gentiles, that they can be saved just as the Jews. Uh, And there, and in verse 2, you see, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying. And so, what I think we see here is some folks that are upset with Peter. You know, they've heard that, uh, Peter's gone in uncircumcised men and ate with them. Um, and, you know, you see there in verse 3, this exclamation point, you know, that this, this idea of emphasis there. Verse 2, they contended with him. They're obviously upset in some way. And then Peter goes about in verse 4, and he starts telling them uh, from the beginning, he starts explaining uh, what happened, what took place. And then how do they respond? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they were they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, "Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life." And so, you know, in these couple of examples, what we don't see uh, is folks responding uh, to something that is that would be difficult for them to hear. We don't see them responding in an angry way. But what do we see them responding with? We see them responding with. Uh, in, in Acts 2, uh, they're cut to the heart. And they just say, "Man, what, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here we see uh, they just become silent. And then they glorified God and they said, uh, then God has also granted uh, the Gentiles repentance to life. So we see them respond in a positive way here in the ways that they should. And so just something for us to think about. And when when the truth hits us or when something's going on around us where uh, where we don't like it, we we don't we don't. Um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, but we don't um, maybe understand fully what's going on. Uh, how should we respond? I think these should be two uh, places for us to go to and think about um, uh, their heart and how they responded to the truth when it was presented uh, to them. And then, what does it tell us about others? So. When we see others respond to the truth in an angry way, what should that tell us about them? Uh, and in what we say here in the next few minutes, I don't want you to take it in, in any way, shape, form, or fashion for me to be saying that I don't think we should be patient and long-suffering with people. But I do think that the Bible uh, tells us to respond to people in certain ways when they reject truth, when they respond in an angry way uh, you know, you think about those those there uh, in the example we started with with Stephen uh, there in in the book of Acts and how they responded. What what does that what does that tell us about those individuals? 
I don't think I don't think our Bibles uh, would have us just to be blind to the fact that people respond to His Word in a negative way. Um, we have to ask ourselves, what is our job in relation to this? What's our job um, in relation to uh, this topic of people responding in the wrong way? What I think we'll find is our, our job is to tell the truth, preach the truth, preach the truth, and teach the truth. Our job is just to make His Word go forth, present His Word to those around us, and we're not really in control of how people respond. Uh, now, certainly we're supposed to, uh, all the things we do need to be in love. We don't need to be out, um, you know, trying to rile folks up. I mean, I, set all those things aside. I'm, we're not saying that at all, but certainly we're not in control of how people respond. We can't be in control of that. And then ask yourself, um, did people get angry when Jesus preached? Yeah, they got angry at him. Did they get angry at Paul? Yeah. Did they get angry with Peter? Yeah. You know, and, and so um, <clears throat> do, do any of us in here really think that what they were doing was not out of love? I don't think any of us would think that. Certainly not. Jesus, everything that he, that he taught was out of love and they killed him for it. All right, so people are going to get angry when the truth is presented. But I don't think we're told to agonize over these people's decisions. You know, what we're told to do is teach the truth, preach the truth. Let His Word go forth. Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and 14. This is when He's sending out the twelve. He says, And whoever will not receive your receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Matthew 7 and verse 6. We hadn't got here in our study yet. But he says in verse 6, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's, you might hold your finger there and go to Proverbs. You might read that in Matthew and think, what in the world is he saying here? Uh, what's this really mean about uh, giving what is holy to the dogs and casting my pearls before swine? What's he getting at here? And what's he? why would he say, uh, don't do this because they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces? What is he, what's he really getting at? What is the idea there? Proverbs 9 and then verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Um, Proverbs 16 and verse 22. Proverbs 16 and verse 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. But the correction of fools is folly. Again in Proverbs 23 and in verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the, the wisdom of your words. So what I think we find in the book of Proverbs is, you know, that if we're talking to a fool, if we're talking to someone who the Bible classifies as a fool, we're not going to get anywhere. They're not going to listen. They're not going to um, 
all of a sudden turn around and start doing those things that they should do. They're a fool. I mean, the Bible classifies that there are fools out there. Uh, and we need to realize that. We need to understand that. We need to know that truth because that is a truth. And they're not going to receive uh, what we'd have for them to do. And, you know, this idea here, lest they trample them under their feet, I think he's talking about the pearls there. You know, this casting the pearls before swine, this thing of beauty. What, uh, if we think back to Proverbs, what's a fool going to do? They're just going to trample them under their feet. And so don't do that. Don't cast what is, don't cast those beautiful things uh, out to the swine. And then, and then he says, uh, they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. All right? And so uh, they're going to respond in a negative way. I think that's what he's saying here. They're going to respond in a way that's not going to be pleasant. They're going to respond to the truth in a way uh, that is unfavorable. And so finally, how do we prepare our hearts to receive God's Word? So, um, you know, I I think we would all agree and hear that we don't want to be uh, that person that the Bible classifies as a fool. I don't want to be that person that the Bible calls a fool for not listening to instruction, not being open to instruction. I don't want to be that person that responds in an angry way when the truth is presented, when um, when I know, I mean, I think we all know that if we're studying and if we're around God's people, uh, we really hope that somebody shows us something in our life that's wrong, that's going to that's gonna really cut down to our heart, and we hope to respond in a favorable way. So how do we set up ourselves for success in that way to know that when the truth is presented, I'm prepared to do what God would have for me to do. Matthew 13. We'll talk about the parable of the sower. We'll read uh, the parable of the sower here and look at it in in Luke because I think there's uh, some things, some conclusions for us to draw not only in Matthew but also in, in this same parable in the book of Luke. Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Go to verse uh, 18 of the same chapter. Matthew 13 and verse 18. This is Jesus explaining the parable here. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what he has sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Hold your finger there and go to Luke 8. 
Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Now the, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. When the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a, for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So you see there in verse 15, so you really only have one ground here that, that seems to produce fruit, and we know um, that those that produce fruit are those that are pleasing to God. Uh, so we only have one ground that that really happens on here. And he says here that having heard the word with a noble and good heart. All right? So that's what, that's what God's looking for. That, that seed, he's looking, he's looking for it to be cast on there. And I, all of us in here want to be uh, this one that produces fruit. But what do we have to have for that to happen? I have to have a noble and good heart. So that seed, the Word of God, has to fall on that heart to produce fruit. All right? And so what are, what are these other situations he's talking about here? We've got the seed on the wayside in verse 12. The devil comes and take away the Word out of their heart. So it, it made it to the heart. So each time, this Word is getting down in there. All right? So it's not like uh, these people didn't understand it, but it got there. Uh, and, and the devil comes and snatches away. Uh, evidently, they didn't have the heart that God would have them to have. Verse thirteen. But the ones of the rock, the ones on the rock, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no root. Uh, who believe for a little while, and in time of temptation, fall away. All right. So in time, this second soil, uh, the one that received it on the rock, a uh, little temptation comes along, and they just they can't stand it. I'm trying to, um, verse 21 of chapter 13 of Matthew. This is the same uh, soil here. Uh, He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so we see that this ground... um, person just just doesn't have any root in himself is what is the way it's phrased here uh he has no depth uh within him and then just when a little tribulation or persecution rises immediately he stumbles and so uh that's certainly not uh the soil that we would want to be verse 14 of luke 8 now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they heard it go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. If you go back to Matthew 13 and verse 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And so this is the last uh, unfruitful soil that we see here. So he received it, uh, and, get, and guess what? Heart wasn't, uh, heart wasn't right. Just the things of this world take over and we were talking about that this morning about 
you know, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Okay, so evidently this person's heart was rooted here. It was here in this life. It wasn't uh, looking for those things uh, that were eternal. It was wrapped up in the things here, the riches of this world, the deceitfulness of riches uh, overtook this person, and they were not able to produce any fruit. So I think we can see from this parable that it does matter what kind of heart we have when the Word is presented. That matters how we're going to respond. That's how uh, you know Jesus is telling us here that it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. All right? And so how do we make sure we've got that heart that we want or that God wants that will respond favorably to His Word? Go to Psalm. Psalm 119 uh, speaks a lot about this, I believe. If we're trying to figure out how do we have this good and noble heart. Psalm 119, and there's going to be several verses. I'm going to just call it the verse number. Verse 47, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. 140. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. 163. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. 167. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. And so what I think we find in Scriptures is that we have to develop this. We have to develop a love uh, for His Word. We have to develop a longing for it. We have to develop... uh, I mean, you see in these verses, um, 163, I love your law. Uh, 167... I love them exceedingly. Uh, so we have to develop a heart that is that is a, that good and noble heart that is spoken about uh, in the parable of the sower, I believe, in order for us to respond in the ways that God would have us to. I want to wrap up and read back in Hebrews again. I know we've read it several times, but I, um, when dealing with this topic, I think we need to certainly... Um, understand what's going on at least. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and, a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, here again, God's Word is not going to return to him void. When His Word goes forth, it's going to judge our thoughts and it's going to judge our intents of our heart. And so our heart is the thing that's important here. Uh, us having the heart that's going to receive His truth, us having the heart that is going to do His will. And so um, I hope that these words have been helpful to you this morning in trying to um, all of us develop that good and noble heart that's spoken of in the parable of the sower and strive to be who God would have for us to be in all that we do uh, and all that we say and think in in every day. If there's anyone here that uh, needs the help of the saints, we'd ask that you come forward while we stand and sing.